everyone. Welcome to session eight in our study of the book of James. Today we'll be discussing chapter three, verse 13 through chapter four, verse six. So I'm sure you've heard the phrase before, can't we all just get along? Rodney King made this appeal in the spring of 1992 during a six day long riot in Los Angeles. This phrase has become somewhat cliche over the years, but let's be honest, haven't we all had that thought run through our heads a time or two? James asks a form of this question in chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, What is the source of quarrels and fights among you? Why can't you guys get along? And James, ever the pragmatist, lays it out plainly, that to live in harmony with others, we must be peacemakers. And to be peacemakers, we must have wisdom but not just any kind of wisdom, godly wisdom. So let's read James 3.13 through 4.6. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So James has been painting us a picture with words so far in this letter. Remember as a child doing color by number pictures where each part of the image had a number and each number had a corresponding color. And as you filled in each portion with a different color, the image became more clear and complete. Well, for James, the completed picture is a mature Christian who lacks nothing. And with each chapter, he fills in another aspect, another part of the picture. In chapter one, it was enduring through trials. Chapter two, it was putting faith into practice. Chapter three, verse one through 12, it was taming the tongue. And today it is the aspect of using godly wisdom to live in peace with others. So in verses 13 through 17, we see that James is pitting godly wisdom against worldly wisdom. So in verse 13, James asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Wise, meaning having moral insight and understanding, meaning intellectual perception. Now, presumably those reading this letter would say, I am wise. I am understanding. Well, okay, then you should be warned, James seems to say that if you think you're wise, you better make sure it's the right wisdom, because following wrong wisdom can have devastating consequences. So, what is right wisdom, and how do we know if we're following it? 
Well, first of all, it comes from God and his word. And a person who is following godly wisdom will show it with a life that is characterized by acts of goodness and humility. They will endeavor to apply the truths of God's word to their lives. Verse 13 says, By his good conduct he should show that his works are done with gentleness that comes from wisdom. Wisdom for the Christian is Jesus himself. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God. God's word is wisdom, according to 2 Timothy 3.15. The sacred scriptures are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. One scholar says, God is the originator of true wisdom, and to get it from any other source is asking for trouble because it's counterfeit. It caters to the flesh and accomplishes the work of the devil. Wisdom, in my opinion, is the application of knowledge, but if the knowledge we apply is faulty, then the results will be empty and meaningless. So what are the results of following what verse 15 calls earthly wisdom? Well, as verse 14 through 16 tells us, the results are envy, selfish ambition, and boastfulness. These people may appear confident, assertive, and intelligent. They may have everything our culture says is important, which is anything that makes you happy. Now, it's important to note here, though, that James is specifically addressing selfish ambition, because ambition in and of itself is not bad. It's defined as a strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring hard work and determination. I believe a person can have godly ambition. Working hard to achieve a goal that it brings glory to God is commendable. Seeking to glorify ourselves is not. Now, some may think that seeking one's own glory through selfish ambition isn't really hurting anyone. But as verse 16 says, where you find selfish ambition you will find disorder and evil practices. Because making personal satisfaction or happiness one's ultimate goal in life will always cost someone else theirs. Verse 15 tells us that this kind of wisdom is not from God. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, Human wisdom is foolishness to God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The wisdom that comes from God is foolishness to humans who don't have the Holy Spirit. Once again, we see God's ways turning our culture on its head. Human logic says when someone follows their own path to personal happiness, that's going to bring people together. But it doesn't. As we see in chapter 4, that kind of mentality only causes division, fights, and quarrels. Because how can there be unity when no one is going in the same direction? But the wisdom that comes from God that comes from above, according to verse 17. It's first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant. Other translations say submissive or open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, impartial, and sincere. Notice James says godly wisdom is first of all pure. Now this is the foundational difference between God's wisdom and human wisdom. It is pure meaning holy and free from defilement. It is also peace-loving, considerate, gentle, easy to get along with, able to disagree without being disagreeable. 
It is also full of mercy, meaning controlled by. Mercy is the driving force behind godly wisdom. And what is the outcome of following this kind of wisdom? Well, it produces blessings, verse 18 tells us. It says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So when we put this kind of wisdom into practice, then God works through us. Not only does it make our lives more peaceful, but it brings peace into the lives of others. Instead of sowing discord by living for ourselves, we sow peace by living for God. A beautiful example of this can be found in the life of Elizabeth Elliot. As you may well know, she was an author, speaker, and missionary, along with her husband Jim. Shortly after they were wed, Jim greatly wanted to minister to an unreached people group in Ecuador called the Warani. They were a fierce, violent group whom no one had succeeded in meeting without being killed. But after discovering the location of the tribe and much planning and effort, Jim and four other missionaries, Nate Saint, Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, and Pete Fleming, entered the Warani territory. And after initial friendly contact, some of the Warani warriors attacked all five missionaries and speared them to death. But that was not the end of the story. Out of their deaths came everlasting life for the Warani people. Because after the death of her husband, Elizabeth chose to take her three-year-old daughter Valerie and live among the very people who had speared her husband to death. For five years, Elizabeth and Valerie slept in hammocks, cooked over open fires, read by candle or lantern light, and bathed in the river, all while sharing the gospel with the Warani people. This resulted in numerous lives saved from violence, and most importantly, numerous lives saved from hell. But you see, in the aftermath of her husband's death, Elizabeth could have made a different choice. In that moment of loss and despair, she could have demanded restitution for the murder of her husband. Or she could have spoken out publicly against the Warani people because of their murderous ways and demand that they be held accountable. But she didn't. She made a different call. And because she did, countless people all over the world have heard her story and turn to Jesus because of it. This is what she says. Every situation, no matter how dark and distressing, if given to Jesus, can become your gateway to joy. It was true then, and it is still true today. What matters to you matters infinitely more to him. Jim Elliot once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This is the essence of a peacemaker. Are we willing to make sacrifices to bring peace? And in chapter 4, James goes deeper into the reasons why this is so difficult. God knows what a challenge it is for us to be peacemakers, which is why he says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You see, I believe James has given us the origin of fights and quarrels, of conflict, 
why we humans fight so much. Not following godly wisdom leads to envy, boasting, and selfish ambition. And envy, boasting, and selfish ambition leads to conflict with others. But it all boils down to selfishness. I mean, that really is the reason for strife and battles. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. Battles within lead to battles without. We battle within ourselves because we want what we don't have, according to verse 2. And rather than asking God for it or learning to be content without it, we allow that covetous spirit to rise up within us and we become angry. We begin to believe that people who have what we don't, don't deserve it. We may become angry at them or even hate them. Even though the source of our anger or even hatred is our own jealousy, they become the target. Because a person deep in the throes of selfishness will never see their own faults. So fighting and conflict naturally ensues. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Our fleshly desires or selfishness will always lead us away from what God wants for us. And the end result is always the same. As verse 2 says, killing, if not physically, then mentally and emotionally, coveting and wrong praying. The early church struggled with these issues just like we do today. People in the church at Corinth were suing each other, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. The Galatians were biting and devouring each other in Galatians 5.15. Paul had to encourage the Ephesian church towards spiritual unity in Ephesians 4.1-7. And there were two women in the Philippian church who could not get along, according to Philippians 4.2-3. But it all stems from our own evil desires. Now, this word desire in verse 2, from the Greek it is hedone, where we get our English word hedonism which is making pleasure humankind's chief end. Now, some may ask the question, what's so bad about desire? Well, just like ambition, desire in and of itself is not bad. But what is the motivation? Desiring to glorify God and help others is a worthy goal. But desiring to please ourselves at all costs is not. Now, verse 2 and 3 says, you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So they either don't ask, meaning they're not even considering God in their present situation, or they're asking God just to please themselves, to get something from him. Now, God is not saying that pleasure is bad here. I mean, God is not averse to pleasure. 1 Timothy 6.17 says God richly provides us with all things to enjoy. James 1.17 says every good and perfect thing comes from him. God is the creator of happiness and joy, but not all pleasure is good. Satan and the world have taken what is good and twisted it. And rather than pleasure coming from goodness, now goodness comes from pleasure. Meaning if it makes you happy, then it must be good. But pleasure and goodness are not synonymous no matter how, how much our culture tries to make it so. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. This is where true fulfillment lies. Many think the pursuit of happiness brings fulfillment, but as we've seen in this passage, it only brings discord and difficulty. The pursuit of godliness, that is where to find fulfillment. And in verses 4 through 6, it goes on to say, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So James calls them adulterous people in verse four, instead of brothers and sisters. The Old Testament also used the same language to describe Israel's unfaithfulness to God in Jeremiah 3, 6 through 10 and Hosea 1, 2. James is calling these people adulterous because they're trying to play both sides. They want to have the blessings that God gives his children while indulging in worldly passions. And James is emphatically saying, no, it's impossible. You can't be a friend to both the world and God. Now, I understand previously in chapter 2, verse 8, he said to love your neighbor as yourself. And we are to love other people, love other people, but not their ways. So what's so bad about being a friend of the world? I mean, why is it considered hostility toward God? Well, one commentator says, because friendship with the world leads to loving the world in 1 John 2, 15 and 16. And loving the world leads to conforming to the world in Romans 12, 2. And Romans 8, 29 clearly tells us the only one that we should conform to is Jesus. So I'd like to focus our attention for a moment on verse 5, because there are some differing opinions among scholars as to its meaning. Now, verse 5 in the CSB says, The Spirit he made to dwell in us, envies intensely. In the ESV it says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit he has made to dwell within us. The NIV also says, He jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us. So two possibilities that scholars give for the meaning of this verse are, one, God created humans with the spirit, and it is the human spirit that is full of envy, referring back to 3.14 regarding the envy that comes from human wisdom. Another option is that God is yearning jealously for the spirit of humans to turn to him. Exodus 20 verse 5 says he is a jealous God. God is jealous over us and desires us to be devoted to none other, because he loves us, and he knows that is what we're meant for. That is what brings true joy. He doesn't want us to be his enemy. One commentator says, there is a holy loving jealousy between a husband and wife, and it is not wrong for the husband and wife to expect faithfulness to them alone and none other. And the Holy Spirit jealously guards our relationship with God. But he gives greater grace, verse 6 tells us. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's quoting Proverbs 3.34 here. So the more we depart from envy, selfish ambition, and friendship with the world and draw closer to God, the more of his grace we will experience. And as we continue to experience God's grace, the stronger we become and better able to resist temptation to want what we don't have. 
So we've all faced conflict. If it's not conflict within, it's conflict without. So as we close, our challenge for this week is to incorporate God's solution for conflict into our lives. For instance, when we see a struggle coming, whether in our own minds or with someone else, before taking action or letting that thought take root or forming an opinion, let's stop, take a breath, and in that moment, pray for more grace to respond with humility. And we may just find that we are able to control our intentions and our actions better than we ever thought we could. Thank you for joining me today. God bless you.